G'day podcast listeners, we are back with a special Foresight Super Series. This is season one and we're going to catch up and interview a few of the Foresight sponsored team members. Foresight Epitalis Fort is a revolutionary daily joint supplement for horses and is powered by Innerpath's exclusive active ingredient Epitalis. Endorsed by veterinarians and veterinary surgeons, Foresight is backed by world-class research and development and offers a money-back guarantee. Foresight Epitalis Fort is safe to take long-term and is a feed additive used to help maintain suppleness and willingness to perform, support for joint function and joint health, support healthy joints in high-performance animals, provide nutritional support after the joint injury or surgery. The first guest on our Foresight podcast series is none other than Linda and Jim McCullum. I've chosen to interview these guys as a couple because as you'll hear, Jim and Linda are quite the team. In this Foresight series episode, you will learn how Linda and Jim are both very accomplished riders and trainers, but they have way more to their story than just this. They both have created a lifestyle that most of us could only dream of, with the perfect work-life balance. I'm excited to present this series and I hope you enjoy our episode. If you'd like to find out more about the McCullum Performance Horses, check out their Facebook and Instagram, as well as their website, allthews.mccullumperformance.com.au. We'll also share this on our socials. I'm excited to present this series, and I hope you enjoy our episode. All right, guys, I'm here with Jim and Linda. I've got a question to start us off. It's a bit of a conversation starter. So I know you guys have heard some of our podcasts before, so you've heard some of the crazy ones we come up with. But I'm going to keep this one real simple, and I want an answer from both of you. I want to know what's your sporting achievement, but not in the equestrian world, that you're most proud of. So it can be like under nines. I know you like cricket, Jim. It could be under nines cricket, bowled a hat trick or something like that. But what comes to mind when you think about greatest sporting achievement, not in in the equestrian field. You want me to go first? Either one. I'll go first. My greatest sporting achievement was I played in a cricket team where uh, we were in a representative game and four guys were in a car crash, couldn't turn up. We only fielded seven guys and they uh, the team we played batted first, got 180 and I got 100 in the second innings and we won the game with seven players. That's my greatest <laughs> sporting achievement and I'll carry that to my grave. Mine would be, um, this might surprise some people, but um, I actually haven't played any other sport, but I did win a boat race at the New England Hotel when I was at university at St Albert's College, and I would say outside horses, that would be my greatest sporting achievement. Does that count as a sport? It does, but what what's a boat race at a pub? Because New England, I'm not thinking there's a, is this, was it in a river? And, oh man. I'm not from the East Coast. Okay, so. so the New England Hotel in Armidale was like the hotel that sponsored Albies, St Albert's College, so it's right. called the Newey. Yep. And we would go to the Newey two or three times a week. And um, a boat race is where you have a team of people and you would I'd have to skull uh, and put head, then the I next person have. behind me would skull put in the head. And um yeah, I'd, I'd, I brought us home very strong that day. <laughs> That's about as aquatic as, as you've got, I reckon. <laughs> I did play water polo once and um for the college and I did nearly die. The I was thinking I was actually I was that's how gullible I was. Because I was thinking what water <laughs> England, <laughs> yeah. water, I'm thinking boats. Yeah. And then I was sort of thinking afterwards. And then you said Newey. We spent a bit of time near Newcastle. So then I was thinking, well, Newey's Newcastle. Close to the ocean. Yep. So that would have made more sense. But nope, nope. All right, we'll take that. Relevant. Yep. As this is our first of our Foresight series, it'll be interesting to see what we're going to get from. I'm going to use that question to start every podcast. So we, we'll be able to see what uh, talents lay in some of these riders. So yours is clearly alcohol-based. So it's good to know. But good to not know. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, I can see you drinking the tea while Jim and I are on the harder stuff. That's all right. All right, next question. We're going to start soft here. How did you guys meet? Well, meet would be um, we knew each other growing up. I was very, very good mates with Linda's dad. Um, saw him at Scone Sar Yards, knew him. I used to dog trial when I was a kid, and um, he was used to take me to events. So I knew, knew Linda, but when we started going out, that's probably a bit different story and probably both of us have different takes on that. Um, so, Linda, I'll let you jump in. I'd say Jim's one of his greatest qualities is he's very persistent. <laughs> and um, it started probably when I was about 16 and um, he would often – and then he advanced to – saying hello to flirting with me at the pub to one day he asked me out for dinner. But this go back because it started at 15. Did you just say? that's 16. 16, so that was just the hello. Yeah, we'd just have the odd conversation. And then the flirting, what age are we at now? 16. So I thought you were a slow slow mover, but apparently now the drinking at the pub, is he still 16? Possibly. (laughs) And um, anyway, so I would have been about 17 or so and Jim, he actually got up the courage to ask me out for dinner and he said to me um, we used to have a great ritual we grew up in Scone where we we would go to the Royal Hotel until about 10 o'clock and then everyone would go to the golf club and it was fantastic it was it was really great time in Scone and um, anyway we were in the same circles but we didn't have the same close friends and I had another boyfriend at the time and um, it's a bit awkward didn't it very very Jim come up to me one night and he said yeah for dinner with me and I just went nope as no. simple as that. No, no, no. Look, I'm really sorry. I'm I've actually got a boyfriend. No. Yes, no. Just no. Straight right. to the point. Okay. Back to the bar. <laughs> Lady, a few words. Yeah. But then, yeah, it was when we were, I was 22 and um, we went to a rugby ball in Scone and we that was when we first got together. So there's a bit of water under the bridge between yeah, 17 and 22. Yeah, I had to work 22. hard, Dan. It was like it was persistent. It was wear down. It was, you know, I knew that I'd, if, you, if I asked enough time, she'd say, Yes, and that's what happened. Spoken like a true horse trainer. Persistent. It's got to wear yeah, them down yeah, sometimes. Yeah, Some of these yeah. mares take a little she, bit more Yeah, She was that tough two-year-old that you didn't think you were going to get, but deep down I knew ultimately I would get there and <laughs> – and, and that's what happened. So then, so Scone is, seems to be the start of the story. I know, know you guys a little bit. So, Jim, you're not from Scone. Yep, no, I'm born and bred Scone. Then wh- where's the island come into it? King Island? Yeah. King Island comes through through work. So in 2000, uh, in the millennial drought, our biggest client, in uh, I was a stock and station agent in a family business, and our biggest client said, find somewhere there that it rains. And my father had um, always heard about it, and so he went down there uh, ended up buying country for this client they've become the biggest landholder on King Island and that started our affiliation and and I Linda and I when we got married we ended up purchasing a, a property down there and and that started our allegiance with King Island so what what year was this uh, we bought the place in 2013 but uh, the the client bought it in 2001 he bought 700 acres and he's now got 18,000 acres and um, we bought our place 2013 actually leased it to him we couldn't afford to stock it at the time and um, then 
as we got down the track within sort of two, three years, we started to run it, put cattle on it, and um, we sold part of it to purchase our property here, but we still have about 700 acres on the island. Yeah. So that's obviously, yeah. So the King Island, just for for the listeners, because we've got a lot of overseas listeners as well, can you explain geographically it's, where that yeah, is? Yeah, it's off the northwest coast of Tasmania. It's almost, it's not quite halfway between Victoria and, and Tasmania, so it's in the western side of the Bass Strait. It's one of the windiest places on earth, but it has uh, the most consistent climate. So it, it doesn't have frosts and it, it doesn't have heat. So it, summer is between 10 and 24 degrees and winter's between 4 and 12 degrees. And so the climate's great. It, the island itself is only 60 kilometres by 40 kilometres wide, um, but there's 120,000 beef cows and I think like 18,000 dairy cows. So it's very productive. Wow. That, yeah. So that's, I thought um, that's where I got it a bit wrong. I thought you might have sort of grown up in that, but it's, it's quite late. So then I, I am backward and look like I come from an island. <laughs> from Tasmania. <laughs> but then, does then Linda, it's going your area? Yeah. So I grew up in right in the Upper Hunter Valley at a little district called Tymore and so Scone was really our local our, our local town and I went away to university but um, found my way back there I guess. I was sort of at uni when Jim and I got together so I ended up back there after I finished uni and there we were until we moved 18 months ago. Okay so then let's pick up now we know a little bit about then you guys are pretty much Scone born and bred. You start dating, you're 22 um, should I even ask how old Jim was at the time? Uh, 16. Considering you're 31 now, you might have been. <laughs> uh, I was 25. I'm three years older than Linda. You well, you don't look it. No, no, no <laughs> I don't. Yeah, no. It's surprising how many people say that in our relationship. Yeah, I'll let you take that how you would like, but fair enough. So you're a few years, so let, let's talk about the courting side of things. Are you both riding horses at this point? I was camp drafting, but very casually. Um, you were more... Yeah, I used to show... Um, I used to show, I grew up showing hacks and show horses and then I went into stock or showing and yeah, then I went into camp drafting. So I was probably, I was stock or showing and camp drafting when I met Jim or when we got together. So then what's your story? When did you first start riding then? I started riding when I was very small, just mustering with my dad and going to pony club and um, I was tiny and I used to love going to work with Dad. I can remember one of the first recollections for me, um, I used to have a, a little pony that um, we Dad used to lead all day and our, we had a massive place in the, in the Great Dividing Range and so our mustering days were daylight till dark and um, one day we were on our way home and Dad was riding along in front and he turned around and he said I'd um, gone to sleep and fallen off and he hadn't even realised and I was <laughs> yeah, off the side of the pony. So, yeah, that's when I started riding really. It was I was very young. You similar, Jim, with obviously yeah, a lot of cattle. So. Stock stock work. Um, my real introduction to horses and horsemanship was with my uncle, Ken. Um, he was a very successful camp drafter and I spent every school holidays out there doing stock work. And But I never competed in a camp drafter or horse event until I was probably 18 or 19. Yeah. So then, okay, so yeah, you're getting closer to when you guys first met if you're only competing at that stage. So I'm just trying to get this part figured out for myself more than any. Thing. So then you first start going out. Are you both? Is it about horses or is it? Are you doing other stuff? Well, we first we dated for a while, um, only six months, and then Jim asked me to marry him. So it wasn't long. And <laughs> I reckon he had that in his head back when you were sixteen. Yeah, yeah that did. So in his mind, you'd, he's already gone through this, but you're just like, well, you know, it's pretty quick. 
you know, we'd just been dating for six months. Well, he'd been dating you for a few years. Yeah. You just didn't realise it. And it was interesting. So when he first kind of alluded that we were going to, was going to ask me to marry him, he wanted to hint and look at some rings. And I was actually at Sydney Royal in the Showgirl competition. So I'd won my local, then I'd won my zone, and I was down there at Sydney. He's home. thinking, I've got to put a ring on this. He's, he's looking at that going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's exactly. going. She's going to be yeah. Miss Australia, Miss Universe. He's like, we better lock yeah, this exactly. down. So I was runner-up, so I had to stay for the whole show and do my duties. And Jim, just the previous year, well, two years he'd been in Young Auctioneers. So we were very familiar with the RAS side of things and how it ran. And um, so we stayed down there for the whole two weeks and Jim would come and go back to work and he'd come back and stay with me in Sydney. And he took me into the city one day and we were walking past some nice jewellery stores, beautiful, the kind of ones that have the security guard out the front. I was just wondering if he'd bought this ring from Sideshow Alley. So he did one when there's a security guard out the front. Yep. And he says, oh, let's go in here. I went, okay. We didn't grow up with a lot in our family, but um, so we walked in there and um, he's like, oh, what, what kind of things do you like in here? And I pointed something out and Jim asked the jewellery store attendant if she could come and get it out. And, of course, she unlocks the cabinet and the security guard was lurking very close and gets it out and sits it on the top of the bench and um, looking and, you know, that's nice. Oh, Jim said, and how much is that one? And she went, oh, well, that's... That's twenty thousand dollars. She went, shit. That's a double decker of cows. <laughs> he said, that's it. No, I think we'll go somewhere else. So we quickly went out of there. But that was the first time that um, he sort of made a joke of it. But yes, I didn't end up with the twenty thousand dollars engagement ring. Well, then let's let's hit us up with the proposal story. Oh, I think it's probably one of the most romantic proposals that you could ever get. That I actually went the week before and went to Linda's parents to ask them for their permission because. I wanted to do the right thing mm-hmm. and I was so nervous and Linda's mum and dad like read it the moment I walked in the door and her father, I'll never forget, he said to me, it's all right, I hadn't even asked him, he said, you can marry her but <laughs> promise me you'll look after her and I'm like, geez, thanks, Dan. Like, you must have been so Weight off my shoulders. <laughs> but the proposal was Linda had a, a gelding that she was showing, uh, she showed at Sydney show and, and we were drafting and he was a great old gelding. And, um, Stock horse gelding. Yeah, yeah, stock horse gelding. And I was living, um, we'd purchased a property and I was living actually in the neighbour's house because the house on the place that we ended up doing up was pretty rough. And I had organised with, um, I had Linda's horse caught, saddled, and I had notes all along the fence with like where she had to go. Little treasure hunt. Yeah, a little treasure hunt. And I was going to be at the end of it, Dan. Oh, oh, oh. I could have hooked you up with a Liberty horse if we would have, yeah, this yeah, is all yeah, more. Happened now, Recent, like, we could have, yeah, you could have, yeah, awesome. could have made it all flash yeah. there. But that's okay. So you had the the notes. Yeah, I had the notes. But the worst part was now this is the only time the I no- can ever remember Linda being early for anything. <laughs> Usually she's always like twenty minutes late. But I'm like got the horse saddled, the notes, uh, and I see the car drive up, and so oh, I'm panic. In this mad dash. So I'm on this gelding that I had like galloping through, trying to get the notes stuck on gates because she had to go through like six or seven gates. That was going to be your next question, like how far we. Talking about this, oh, is spread out. go through like six gates. Was probably three or four k's. Yeah, it wasn't been it? three or four k's. Yeah. Holy dooly! Yeah, yeah, I wasn't gonna. I was gonna make 
make it a bit of a ch- challenge. <laughs> what, what would you have done if you're sitting at the end there and she doesn't show up? Oh, you hadn't thought that I, part no, through? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even. Um, how long do you think you would have? Did you think how long it would take her to get there? Like in your mind, did you think I'm waiting a long time? Well, looking back now on my ability to give directions and my sense of direction, it was a massive risk. This sticky notes could have blown away in the wind. Yeah, yeah they could have. She could have got they lost. Could've. No mobile phones, I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> Limited there. at least. No, they're no, not there. Not there was no we service. No. So then what are you thinking, Linda? You, you've you turned up. Was this – did you have an inkling? I had an inkling. Okay, yeah. I had an inkling when I left <clears> the house and my mum and dad stood at the door and they cuddled <laughs> the each camera. other. <laughs> and they were like, have a nice day. And mum was like, you know, wiping tears and have fun. Let us know what he says. It's like spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 Dan, I have never, ever been able to keep anything from Linda, like present anything, I've, like never in our relationship. She's a, a master at, at getting like – and same with the kids. They try and keep like what we're getting there for a birthday or we've never, ever – it's never been a surprise, has it? No. There's still time to master that oh, illusion. Do you, like, do you like surprises, Linda? You don't know. You haven't had one. But no, <laughs> yeah. no. Can you tell me what is the definition yeah, of you, a surprise? What you think a surprise would feel like, is that something that you think you would enjoy? I think that is something I would enjoy. Yeah, it's, it's – um, Because some people look – because you might be one of those person people that want to find things out. See, like Pia, I'm lucky. She doesn't want to know. Like if she thinks a surprise is coming, she'll almost go out of her way to make sure she doesn't find out what that surprise is. So if I hid something in, in our bedroom and said, hey, don't go on that shelf, I hid something, she won't go on that shelf. I mean, I'd go to that shelf. Okay. Because that's I know see, what's hidden I in just those shelves to feel, in the bedroom. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I want to feel what but, Jim's but she's going so through. she's so good that she'd know like when I'm putting it on the shelf before I even get there, like how much it costs what it is yeah. did you get this model <laughs> <laughs> see this is giving what us what kind the, of batteries does, does it take <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, you can the the reason why this is relevant it doesn't seem relevant in at the start, but we're starting to learn about you a little bit, so we can start to figure out some of the patterns that we might find out throughout the podcast of the training side of things and so on. So it's, we'll note that down. If I was a a doctor or a psychologist here, I might yeah. I just all of a sudden pick up my notepad and write a few notes yeah. there. So now let's. What year is this? Can you give me a year? Uh, well, we got engaged in two thousand and three. Okay, so two thousand and three, get engaged. What year do you get married? 2004. You guys move so quickly. Yeah, no mucking about. Even though Jim's been planning this like a serial killer. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Before you were even aware of it. Yeah. In his mind, he's like, no, Dan, it took ages. But I'm thinking this is, from Linda's point of view, things are rolling. They were rolling. Yeah, fast. Yep. So then we we get married. You're an agent. Yep. And what are you doing, Linda? I'm a teacher. School teacher? Yeah, high school teacher. Okay. So before we were married, I taught at a Catholic school in Tamworth. Loved it. And it was very sad when I left because I wouldn't have left other than we got married and I wanted Jim to open an agency in Tamworth but that wasn't an option and yeah so I moved home and I taught at the Catholic school um, in Aberdeen. Right mm. and why you, you, so you're teaching and, and Jim's doing the agency but you've still got horses? Still got horses and we're mostly stock horses and camp horses at that stage. Yeah yep. and he, again to get a picture are we camp drafting every weekend or 10 camp drafts a year what are we talking about? Um, 
Um, we're starting to do a few. Like we're probably doing six or seven a year, would you say? Or maybe, maybe, probably a, few a, few more. More. maybe yeah. a few more. Yeah. And how many horses have you got on the truck? Four. Oh, at that point, no, it would only be two. It was Duke and Eli. Tell me about them. Uh, Eli was, uh, for me, was a... Um, a metallic cat. Obviously. No, no, no. He was by uh, thoroughbred out of uh, Sage King Bread Mare. And my uncle gave him to me as a 21st birthday present. Um, so he's pretty special to me. He'd won four novice drafts with my uncle and a maiden. So he gave him to you as a camp draft yeah, winner. Yeah, he, uh, yeah. And but he never became an open horse. <laughs> <laughs> he used to um, pull like a freight train. But um, yeah, he was he was a really special gift to me actually. So it was yeah that was the first horse I camp drafted, and he was on the truck. And then Linda had your old girl in Duke that you'd won a heap of stock horse shows with. Yeah, Can you tell us about Duke? Duke, uh, my dad bred, and he was he was out of a good. He was part quarter horse, part stock horse. He wasn't the nicest looking horse probably, but he was um, he used to win a bit, and he was he was good. He was reliable. You got to elaborate on it a little bit. It sounded like he was pretty good. He was good. I had one before him that was probably um, she was a really nice mare. She was a Kamara top line mare. She was a, had a bit of age on her by the time we got together, but she was probably what launched me into the stock horse world. She was a beautiful mare, but um, yeah. This is the early two thousand. Just again for the listeners and myself because I'm pretty new into the horses at this stage, and we're in WA. What's camp drafting look like at that time? Like are we we know what it looks like now. Where it's super competitive, high price horses when i did the joke about metallic cat that's not a joke now everyone's camp drafting these bloodlines and you know got half a million dollar if not million dollar rigs like it's very common what's camp drafting look like in 2003-4 for us it was a two-horse float that was open at sides and we used to have to put a tarp over it to camp in swags in it and two very not really well-known bred stock horses on the back and this the quality of camp drafting not even just not just with yourselves with everybody are we what what is it looking like? What are we doing? What are the scores like? What are we? It's bush camp draft. Yeah, very it, much so. Yeah, it was. It was nowhere near the level of professionalism. It was. It was more an excuse for a weekend out, and you'd go there and you'd enjoy it. You'd compete, but it was about the nightlife, really. If that, I would say eighty percent of the people were going for it. It was just a, a good weekend out at that point. And the people who were doing well were your Bruce McNaughton's. Um, Bruce did so well. Yeah, he, he was to, dominant. He was the dominant. Yeah. yeah competitor in the hunter at that time and, then, and kenny mccallum yeah wayne smith yeah there was you know a lot of those bunger young yeah there was a lot of those guys who were very um dominant so when, huey was a 16 year old kid i can remember him i think he, yeah, um, he might have been younger than i was that. gonna say i'm not even sure if he's 16 <laughs> at this stage well, i think he was yeah. 10 or 12 at that point yeah mm. so then he he was knocking around we're going to talk to huey at some point so if we talk talk a little bit about him now and you're saying that he's maybe 10 12 in that realm yeah who's he camp drafting with. Um, I don't know. I, I can remember him like doing well in the in the younger events and coming on board. And but it was it, again like there was probably only there was three or four people like Tom Williamson would come to the bigger drafts and he'd dominate. And he was the probably the first guy that we noticed to when everyone was at the bar he was out riding a young horse. Like that was kind of the the start of training. Yeah, and it, the horses weren't. I mean, nowhere near the level of training that, that they are now. Like Bruce McNaughton was probably the, at the at the start of the really trained. Horse. 
Freckle Oak would have been the dominant side. Yeah, Freckle Oak was what you wanted. And what do we, if we win one of these hunter drafts, because obviously the, there's bigger drafts, but if I'm winning a hunter draft, let's say I win the Maiden at, at Aberdeen, what sort of check could I think I was going to receive back then? $200 maybe? Yeah, I think it's not lucky. too bad. Yeah. What about if I win the Open at Scone? What, $350, $400, I reckon? So not, not much we of a We never experienced it, yeah, so I can't. <laughs> You're like, I don't know, I'd have to ask yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell you that like fifth place in the encouragement didn't pay a lot. <laughs> there wasn't an encouragement then, was there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, so let's then look at how you guys evolved because we're going to get to where you're at now and we know that it looks a lot different from a two-horse float. When did when did your horse numbers, your competition side, when did that start increasing? So we didn't really – we advanced – basically what happened when I went to university, I was very good friends with Jane Munro who's married to Tom Williamson and um, it was Tom who introduced us probably to the realm of – he always said to me, Linda, best training aid is a well-bred horse and um, he was the one who really I credit for introducing us to genetics. And Tom, um, when I had the ch- the kids, so I was um, 26 and 27 when I had my children, and it, it was tough. We lived out of town and I gave up my career and Jim was an agent, so he was gone from daylight till dark. And he said uh, I had two young horses that we had bred that he had suggested we bred, one out of the Camaro top line mare and another one out of another mare that we bought off Tom. She was a Camaro top line mare as well. So And one was by one more playboy a mare and one was an Acres Destiny Golding. He said, why don't you aim those for the Snafflebit for charity? And um, I said, how am I going to do that? He said, just set aside an hour a day, go and ride them on the flag, do something. And I, um, that's where it started really. We had those two horses and um, I used to get up really early in the morning about 5am while Jim would, um, the kids were in bed and then I'd try to be back at the house by 6.30 so he could go to work and um, I'd had an hour and a half to myself and it was my was my ticket really ticket to freedom ticket to an hour to myself when I had little babies and um, the start of a very great journey and, and also within that Dan um, we purchased a mare called Tassimint who was a Tassilina mare out of a mare called Docs Coolmint who'd won the derby and Phil Dawson trained her and she went to the futurity we bought her at the futurity on Tom Williamson's advice we went to the Canamble quarter horse it was the AQHA National Finals at Canamble. Yep. They were in, so the Futurity, this was in 2005, just after we were married. Yep. The Futurity was um, in the June and the Quarter Horse Finals were in the July, August. And um, we just took her and um, Graham White had bred her. She was she was a great mare. And we went, oh, well, we'll just put her in the draft. No preparation. And um, I won the ladies on it. She ran to- off with Chrissy Hall. Yeah. I was yeah, in, well. in the maiden. And Jim's looking forward like to this is a Canamble. Yes. Yeah, so re- you bought her there and you're drafting her there. So we no, we bought her at the maturity oh, yeah, in the yeah. June and we drafted her in July at but the AKJ National She'd never chase one. Never, never ran a cow on her outside. And Linda went in the ladies and ran an 89. And Chrissy Hall, I don't remember what horse she was on, but she ran an 89. They ran it off and Linda ran a 90. And Holy this was the, that's so the, the first mare. two runs yeah, she was that proper. that mare had. She was like phenomenal. And we were just like, how long is this been going on? She like, was, oh, but yeah, but you would have been thinking this is easy too yeah 
so easy. Just get a cutter and just get, don't Do worry. This. Just and go. for us, it was a lot of money. So we bought her for 15000 and it was a lot yeah, of and money. It, was, for it us. was a lot of money. It was, you know, we thought it was a huge investment. And probably she was the start of the journey, really. Yeah. We need to credit her. And then we went on and we went, we won a lot on yeah. her. Jim won a title on her. And, um, yeah, we, we drafted her for well, a couple it, of years. She never had a lot of drafts, but um, yeah, she, she finaled in uh, um, Paradise Lagoons with Tommy Williamson. Like, but she was just always the same and just great in the yard, great outside. Mm, and did you breed on for you guys? Yeah, she did. Yeah, so um, Black Mint, the, um, I sold him through Nutrient. I've sold, she had two foals for us and then unfortunately she collected and died. But um, yeah, we had a, an Acres Destiny gelding and that I sold and he went on and did a lot and then I, he had she had a Ray Dual filly, which we sold and she went on and did a lot of us as well, both in the camp draft world. So yeah. Yeah, then the, the Ray Dual mare was Holly Clayton's, the first horse she showed in cutting. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and she did pretty well on her. Yeah, like. Mm. So that might have been, was that the the Ray Jewel, because it's getting a bit off topic, but that she sold, was, or Huey sold a metallic no. out of the Ray Jewel? Oh, I've got called to her for this year. That's, oh, it's a different Ray Jewel. That's work yeah. today. Different Ray Jewel. Oh. That's one that Tommy Williamson broke. Mm, right, yeah, because I did break that metallic one in, so I was going to tie myself in, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> Let's forget that ever happened. Let's go back to the kids, okay? So we're about, <clears throat> that's where we were sort of, <clears throat> excuse me, at, at that timeline. So we got Pete and Liv, so born there in Scone. What year we... Pete's born. He was born in 2006 and Olivia was born in 2007. Okay, so you said very close. Very close. For, for, for me, and, and this is a little story, and, and you know, from coming up here, Woolbrook. Yep. Yeah, I'm bad because I'm from WA. So you guys will be like, yes, it's Woolbrook. But near Walcott, and we came up to visit with you guys, and, and it stands out for us because I don't think you guys were here yet. And Pete was on the mower, and Liv was doing something else, and they just stopped and they came and greeted us, and they were so polite and you know, their hospitality was great and we're just looking at these like two shiny kids going, these guys are raised very well and you guys, you know, represent yourselves very well and we came in and, and had a lovely lunch and, and you know, hung out for a little while and going back in the car, both Pierre and I are going, yeah, this is this is great. You know, they're not only obviously successful in business and with your horses, but then you've raised two outstanding children. Outstanding. I know they've got a lot going on. Can you tell us a little bit about your kids? And you can like, don't be bashful. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they are outstanding. They're, um, I guess, um, both of them are really unique. I mean, the hardest thing I think about being a parent is you see so much of each of us, our characteristics in them, and you sometimes you worry about those things. But um, Pete's always been incredibly mature, and and I guess always feels older than what he is, and he's always been like that, even when he's a little fella, and and live very much the same Liv's always been incredibly independent and determined and um she is so much like Linda at times that it scares me um in a good way <laughs> yeah I was thinking where you're going but, with this. um yeah she's so I guess with the horses I mean determined talented um and passionate about it and Pete conversely I mean in, in so many ways he's kind of the um oh, He's the one who I think uh, he, he just remains very level, very responsible. He's a great little thinker and he's so, um, oh, with his sport, like he's a very passionate cricketer and a very good cricketer, but he's just, he has so much 
try and everyone, any team that he's ever in, like he's the one that the, the boys kind of radiate around to because he just is so determined and, and that's, I think, his greatest trait. But, yeah, look, we're, we're incredibly proud of them. I mean, as I know Linda is, I mean, they, um, yeah, I guess they're, they're our world, you know. We, we, this might turn into a parenting podcast because I, I'm going to ask myself, like, how do you do it? We, we Work-life balance, we all know, is really difficult. So, you know, you've you've got a successful business in, in your agency. Um, you, you work as well. Like I said, you did the teacher thing. You've raised the kids. You ride horses all day. Like, where's the time? Like, how do you balance this all up? Because they're very well-rounded kids. Like you said, they're both very mature. Like, we had great conversations, adult conversations, very articulate, you know, like I said, hospitable, wanted to get us drinks, look after us. Um, you know, it was just, it was a great time. But then we've got to think, like, how do you do it? Like, you've got to give something up normally. When you originally asked that question, I've, of course, I guess you feel quite emotional because it's beautiful to have you say that about our children. Thank you. Um, but I'm, I'm the first to admit, and for any mother out there, I really struggled with little, little children. I struggled with little babies. And we were in a very isolated area. Um, we were on a big place. We were half an hour just going up a, ba- a very rough road. So people just didn't come and visit. And um, it was over an hour for me to get to work. So consequently, I had to give up work to have have the kids. And I would be, you know, to go to town was a huge task. I can remember, um, like, it, Peter was 15 months old when Livy was born, and I thought he was so big, you know, and look back now and I see a 15 month old and I feel like they're just so tiny. And I can remember going to town to do the shopping and trying to do it by myself. Well, I always used to do it by myself. I had no option. And I'd have, I had this little tiny baby. Livia was six weeks old or more. Peter was 16 months old and they were both crying in the trolley. And I'll never forget it. I was in Coles and I was walking down an aisle and they had just been crying. I'd had no sleep. And I'll never forget, I just started to cry. And one of the ladies in Coles came up to me and she said, it's all right, darling. I had this huge trolley because I never used to do shopping very often and I used to do all of that stuff um, and she said it's alright darling just leave you, leave your trolley and go home and so I really? just I picked up my kids and I, I walked out of that supermarket and I put them in the car and I went home we had no food and it was of course, you know, we went back and I did it the next day. But it, I guess for me, they it wasn't easy. Yeah, and well, it's a big deal. For some stranger to come up to somebody else and give that advice, like it's obviously it's, it looks like a breakdown, like you haven't. Yeah, it? and there were some really tough times. Like when Olivia was tiny, I, got, I, I used to get mastitis quite badly. And there was one day where I knew I was really sick, but I, I, I didn't know what to do about it. And I ended up, I couldn't get hold of Jim and I couldn't get hold of anyone. And I was so sick and I couldn't look after these kids and anyway I rang Jim eventually got hold of him and I said I'm really sick I need to go to hospital and I got in the car and started to drive and um, got out of the car and I gave him Pete but I was so crook and then I drove the rest of the way and they admitted me straight away I had Olivia with me obviously because she was so tiny but they admitted me things like that I just I just I found little children difficult to be completely honest and and I feel like for me I loved it there were so many things I loved about it don't think think I didn't love it I did and I gave up my career for it but that time of my life I look back at and I realize it was a real struggle and um, they were they were good kids when I look
look at their personalities now, I can see a lot of them as they were in, as babies. So Pete was not um, an easy baby, but I think I wasn't. I was a first time mother, and um, I expected it all to be so perfect. And he didn't sleep that great. Whereas Liv was just so cruisy, but I think she was the second baby, and she just had to fall in. Um, and maybe it's a you know a little bit how independent she is now. But but looking back, for me, the magic age was four when I could get in that car and they could come and jump in and they could buckle their seatbelts. We were on a winner. And I'll never forget the day that we all went for a ride together. And and because, you know, usually I'd have to stay back with the babies or, or, you know, when we all got on a horse and went for a ride together, that was a pretty special day. Like a milestone. So, yeah. So, did you, were you over this like pre like zero to four, were you competing on some weekends? We used to go to drafts. Yeah. 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 On some weekends, we used to go to drafts. Yeah. Yeah. We had probably three or four horses on the truck and we'd go to drafts. And you just managed the kids between yourselves? Yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah. 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 We didn't have a lot of help with our kids when we were little. Oh. We were pretty – it was up to us. And I did give up my career. Um, I went back from time to time as they grew older. Once I tried to go back to work, and I'll never forget, Peter had started kindergarten. I tried to go back to work. Livia was in daycare, which was opposite McCallum Inglis, it was at that stage. And um, all day, she, apparently, she stood at the fence and just cried because she could see Jim's office oh. across. And um, anyway, that afternoon, they ended up calling me and I went and got her and I never went back to work for a while then. I was just like, yeah. So I stayed home with them. And um, and one other time I'll never forget, um, my mum had breast cancer. And when she finished her treatment, we went to, people would have been five or six, and we went on a health retreat. My sisters and I took my mum on a health retreat to celebrate the end of her chemotherapy. And um, I'll never forget, as a part of that, you would have different um, sessions during the time. And one was a psychic. And I'd never been to a psychic. Yeah. And we sat down and she let us take notes. I was there by myself. She let me take notes. But one of the things she said, and I'll never forget it, she said, and Peter, hmm, he's an old soul. And it's just stuck with me and he is. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's an old soul. He's a healer. And he can tell, he can kind of, you know, he calms, is the calm in the room. Whereas Olivia, she's a she's very intuitive and she's a thinker. Like it was only the other day she said to Jim, um, I, I actually had gotten into her about something and um, anyway, then I'd driven away or something. She'd done something wrong. And anyway, Jim said something to her and she said, Dad, you've got to take a leaf out of my book. You've got to understand when mum goes off, you just got to let her go off, just cop it, and then she'll get over it pretty damn quick and then we all get on with it. <laughs> You're taking advice from your 14-year-old daughter on that, Jim? Well, I take advice, a lot of advice from the pair of them, actually. <laughs> so she yeah, she worked it out pretty quick and um, yeah, she started telling Jim what to do as far as handling me. So, I, I think one of the things I like to your original question of like Linda was like they got read to every night they they were never I used to read to them before they were born yeah and yep. they were allowed to be independent but they were never ever um like there was no I'm not saying corners cut but it, you know they, they were read to they were um encouraged to do things and they and I think one of the the greatest things that that Linda's given them and and more so than me is the ability to feel comfortable failing mm-hmm. and and they've both got a lot of confidence out of that and that happened at a really early age with both of them like they were never I mean they both want to win but they both also understand processes and and I think that the horse thing has helped us understand that but definitely I'll give you a good example Peter um, obviously has played rep cricket from when he was tiny he was about he was eight when he made the under 10s Hunter Valley team and so he's played a lot of rep cricket and those carnivals would go for a week in January 
and so often that was when it was quite dry. So Jim would have to stay at home and, and I would take Pete and it was great. It took me to so many wonderful places, often on the coast. Anyway, um, and he used to have this, um, I'd say he had his father's will to win and when things didn't go his way, there'd be a, a, quite a disappointment. And anyway, one day he come off the field, he was probably 14, 15, yeah. come, 14, yeah. come off the field and we're playing down um, near Newcastle and he, I heard him go into the change room and he, uh, there was a bang and a few profanities oh. that you could hear outside. I was so embarrassed. Anyway, I um I didn't say anything and then on our way home I, I got very cross at him and I said, Pete, he's fifty dollars. We're staying in Newcastle. I said, Here's fifty dollars. I said, mate, this is gonna be the changing point for you. I said, You will never act like that again. Ever, ever, ever. I said, but this fifty dollars, I said, I want you to get out of this car. It was about ten Ks from yeah. our hotel. I said, I want you to get out of this car and I said, and you decide what you do. You can use that fifty dollars and you can get a cab and you can get back to the hotel. Or you could go and buy yourself 10 buckets of ice cream. Or you could walk home, drag your cricket bag, and you could frame that $50. And you can say that was the moment that changed my life. And I'll never forget it. I kind of, I got back, to, I drove to the motel, I was shaking. I've just what, left what? my 14-year-old kid 10K. Without cutting off this story, what, where did this, have you seen this in an Oprah magazine or? <laughs> um, I may have, uh, I was just trying to work out in my mind how I could make him realise the difference between I just wanted him to think about the way he was acting, you know, and, yeah. and we all get disappointed. I understand that. But there's also a point where um, I, I don't want him to not express his emotions, but he needs to be able to do that in the right way. And I, I don't know. I just come up with it. Then, okay, let's get in back in the story. So you're at the hotel now. I'm at the hotel and I'm at the bar and I'm drinking cocktails. <laughs> Thinking, what She's have I done? Me. And I'm ringing Freaking out. And I'm in tears and I'm going, I can't see him yet. Where is he? Where's this kid? And I was I was quite upset. Anyway, eventually he turned up, dragging the cricket bag all the way around people in Newcastle, right around the foreshore up to the um staying hotel on the beach. And anyway, he, he turns got up. Got his fifty bucks. Yeah, he got his fifty bucks, and um he, he did frame it. He still got it. He still got it. Yeah. Other other real turning point, and I feel guilty giving parenting advice, but one of the best things that I've ever heard was when Pete was on one of these cricket carnivals, he'd made aside as a ten year old an under 12 side and he'd gone up and he'd opened the batting he'd been bold and he'd been one of their better players he makes the side the following year different coaches different kids it was when the drought was on I couldn't go and um, he heads up there with Linda Linda didn't have a cricket background didn't grow up with it so um, you're normal yeah yeah, uh, yeah didn't understand like the great game I like to spend my summers by the pool yep. so yep. she goes up there and Pete had gone from the year before opening the batting and been one of the better players to first game he's batting nine and me being me was like this is bullshit you know he's better than that he's the best bat in the team like me being the protective dad yep. and I was really cranky I said to Linda you could put him in the car and bring him home it's a waste of time you know rah 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 and um, Linda said Jim you need to think about what you're saying and stop protecting him and you need to say to him on the phone not that you shouldn't be batting nine you need to say get your opportunity take it work your way up good psychology yeah. and ever since then like in his cricket, he has never ever been the most gifted player in any team he's ever played in, but he's always been that kid that like fights. And that was the turning point. And it was also a turning point in how I looked at being that that sporting parent. And it's the 
same with Liv. You know, goes in. She might be riding the best horse or or not. She might be riding one of uh, the greenest horse, and often Liv is. You know, she gets put on a one of Linda's horses that you know for whatever reason Pete's riding the other one, or and um, that's been the 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 greatest gift is both of them have like Liv now. Well, if she shows a futurity horse in the youth and gets a reasonable score, gets it shown, that's a win. Yeah, and Pete, if he bats nine and scores 15 not out that's a win and then yep. the next week he's batting seven and the next and and hence his cricket career has progressed yep. and that's got so recognized in him and it was he played for blacktown in a green shield team and and which is kind of a goal of his and a pinnacle of what he's tried to do and that was him like he started batting down the order he wasn't one of their better bowlers and he just kept fighting his way in it and that's been that's both their strengths and i think that's linda's strength like you get onto the horses, Linda. You know her first runs in cuttings, and now it wasn't pretty. And and she'll admit that, but she never ever went out of. I could never ever remember going out and saying she might in the moment be like, oh, this is too hard or whatever. But it's always the next day would work a horse. You yeah. know, always back, go again. And I didn't really grow up like that. Like I was a bit of a victim, if I'm being really honest. Like I was always like hard done by, and it affected my sporting career. I probably could have. Not saying I could have played at a high level, but I could have done a lot better if my attitude was different. And well, I it think that's like a really good, the kids. A really good lesson at that time and probably Linda's balance on it. Like you said, if you've talked to Pete, if you would have just, maybe things would have been different if you would have just said, all right, Jim said, bring him home, pulled him in the car, drive him home. And we're going to look at it. It would be a different timeline yeah. of, you know, all of a sudden he thinks, well, you know, I, I, I don't have to earn it. I'm given this right. I should be starting yeah. you know, up, the, up yeah. the order. Yeah. I'll never forget. I, I used to listen to a few parenting podcasts and I did, I love my podcasts and on one of them, I never forget words of don't be afraid to let your children fail. And for me, I don't want to see my kids hurt. Of course, I don't want to see them hurt. But you know yourself, Liv competed in the Rookie Challenge at the ABS Area National Finals here the other day. She she it was the first time she did outstanding among 70 people and she made the final and in the final, she turned the wrong way in the drive work. And I said, to her I said darling like enjoy this moment and remember this moment because we've all been there and and before she knows it she won't be riding the rookie challenge you know Liv, yeah. Liv will go and do great things I know she will but they're, they're the great things that you remember I remember the first time I, I went in a cutout and I tail turned yeah. and got the whip you know and I remember the first time that I turned did my roll back in a stock horse working class the wrong way um, and you just you never forget it and if you don't do it how do you learn it yeah and I, I think that you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and letting your children be uncomfortable. And I think that's very hard. It's yeah. hard to see your kids hurt, but there's a lot of a lot of growth that comes out of those moments. Yeah. Great and advice. I think the capacity to act the same whether they win or whether they come last as, as a parent. Yeah. And that's something I've had to work really hard on because I'm a emotional, get quite animated sort of person. And especially with the kids, like, you know, I get, you feel it so much, but I, it's something that both of us, I think, as parents, have been really good at. If they if they win, it's not a massive high. It's well done. That was great. If they lose, unlucky. You know, we can work on this. Not you see those parents that are 
you know, oh, I can't believe he's, he's you know, he's got a hundred or she's just won the, the cutting or whatever, the camp draft. But then when they don't do well, you know, oh, I can't believe you did that. You know, you turned yeah. the wrong way or whatever. You know, like there's no pressure associated with failure or success either way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. Yeah, no, we, I watch a lot of AFL and one of the great coaches in uh, in the system, you know, he said it's never as bad as it seems and it's never as good as it seems. Like, because the media will do that to them as coaches. Like, they're winning and they're the best coach in the world and yeah. they lose four matches in a row and look out for your job, it's going to be gone. And that's what he talked about, you know, to his players. Like, you know, we've got to get a balance here and it's not as bad as it seems when we're losing. You know, you, you just got to do a couple more different things and all of a sudden we're back winning. But when you're winning, you can't also rest on your laurels and go, oh, well, I've done all the hard work now. I'm just going to keep on winning. There's lessons to be learned when you're winning as well. So obviously, and, and you know, that's why we started this conversation about the kids. They are so well grounded, you know, I know that they are both successful talking about Pete. It's not just in, in cricket. He plays other sports. He he rides as well. Yep. Lives obviously passionate about horse riding. And I can't believe she's 14 when I when I come and ride with you guys. I only just started riding horse at 14. And there she is training cutting horses and camp draft horses and training her own challenge horse. So the, de- the dedication's there. We're going to get back to the timeline. So now we did the sort of pre-six. Now they're post-six. Are, are you now getting on the road more with the kids with horses? Is that what starts to develop? Yeah, definitely. I when I was very keen when Pete was tiny to start him in school horse sports and pony club and things like that. And I did take him to quite a few and he will probably tell this story as well. But we went, he was in about year one and I took him to a school horse sports and the mum was probably more keen than the child, to be honest. Yeah. And um, we were blacketing the hooves. And of course, a little six-year-old boy needs to help. But sometimes helping blacket hooves yeah. in your white Wranglers and your little white shirt. Like sit in the car, I'll do this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. I've been so there. I know what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I take the kids and Pia does the blacking. Uh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm trying to be a good parent and encourage, go. you know, oh, you've got to help get your horse ready. However, he gets the hoof pick in the top of the blacket can and he starts to oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> flick it open. He, he flicks it open and what happens? He ends up with blacket all over his little white outfit. Anyway, he's in tears and he wants to go home because Pete is pretty particular with how he likes to look good. Anyway, I made him compete and he had black at black all over his face, all over him. From that day on, I've only just in the last 12 months got him back in the saddle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? He hasn't competed in that time. And he will say, we've discussed it, he will say he remembered that day. Does he get into a cold sweat if he sees black at now? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) yeah. No, that's why we go for none of those pretty events anymore. So then we're camp drafting. Where's And you said about Tommy Williamson getting you into the snaffle bit. Did you do the snaffle bit on those horses? Yeah. I did, yeah. And I finaled um, the One More Playboy mare and then the Acres Destiny gelding, which we've still got. He's our turnback horse. And um, you did well on him at Toowoomba Futurity, yep. Jim and the Snaffle Bit. So, yeah, they, they did both do well. And I sold the One More Playboy mare through the Landmark Classic sale. So what year was the Snaffle Bit? 2009. That's your first time? First time. So then from 2009, what happens next with your horses? So you've Tommy's talking into breeding, buying. You bought your good mare as well that you've. They won the Derby, Tazamir. So, what are we doing now? We're we saying we're going to go more cutting. 
camping or you're still doing both or well, we're mainly uh, mainly camp drafting and but I guess the taste of that gave us the the feel and the the passion for it and Linda's always loved the training side of it and I guess I um I really loved like breeding and trying to you know find the right horses and like that's something I've been really passionate about so we, we were drafting but getting pulled more towards the cutting I would say at that point mm, and I, I, the few years after that I trained a couple of more snaffle bit futurity horses and um, one year on finished Catalina gelding two years after that I was reserve champion in snaffle bit futurity and Hugh Miles was third we were both kind of making our debut at the same time in so the cutting pen 2011 12, 11, 12? 11. Yeah. yeah and um, and then you so took that horse on and, and trained him down but then I bought a, a, a trained horse um, Ziba Isabel Cat he had won the non-pro futurity and I, I showed him for a few years and then we went from there really. Would I say that my the way I entered the cutting industry would be a way that I would encourage anybody else to do it? I, I kind of wish in a way that we'd bought that trained horse to start so I knew what the feel was like. Mm-hmm. However, I don't know whether I would have fallen in love with the process of training so much if I had you know jumped those stages. So sure. it, it didn't come easy and yeah, really it was a great way. We had a great introduction and um, it was good for me when I had young kids and I had a, I could have a goal and I could set a goal and I could train my horses at home. If I didn't go anywhere in between, it didn't matter because I had a goal. And yep. I used to yep. hop in the car every Wednesday night and go up to Link Bowman's and have a lesson. He was fantastic to me in those times. And um, that was that was my time to myself as well. Every Wednesday night I'd get home at midnight. Did that for about five years probably. And, um, yeah, it was that was how I sort of learnt the process. So what was the first horse you trained yourself hand down and showed in the futurity? It would be a one more playboard gelding called One More Poker Face. Right. Yes. So that would have been in 2015. 14, I showed 15, him. Probably, yeah. yeah. Really not that long ago. No. 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 It isn't in the scheme of things. Yeah. It scares us a bit when we think back. But yeah. so that was that was obviously a hell of an achievement from and for our listeners, they probably some of them will get lost when we talk about cutting. So snaffle bits, two hands, got both hands on the reins, and now you've got a fully trained one where you've got one hand on the reins, but you have to keep your hand down and you're holding the horn. So it's quite a big step up. How, was that a daunting time to, to do it? Did you do most of it like other than getting a, a lesson from Link once a week? Was Were you just at home by yourself? Yeah, we would work at home by ourselves a lot. And um, I, the cutting industry was great, is great. There were so many people who would offer advice. That was one of the things that I found incredible and that I fell in love with was that I could go to an event and I had four people there, two her, uh, my herd help, two people turning back out the front and they would talk me through every step of the run and I had never felt that support I guess in any other event that I'd ever been in and um, I found that support incredible and, and everyone was so willing with their advice and free with their advice so that that helped as well so yeah it was it was daunting but it was I loved the challenge. Yeah that's well in, in my mind like that's I still haven't achieved going from two hands to the one hand and I've shown one handed but I haven't trained one through so you know just from my own perspective I know how much work there is to transition from two hands going to the one hand but to think you're doing it majority of it really by the sound of it still at home by yourself that shows the talent
lifestyle that you have as a trainer and you haven't had a heap of industry background or help or anything like that. So were you using each other? Like what was the – because Jim hasn't trained cutting horses either. No. But no. are you being a second set of eyes? Like I'm yeah. just trying to think to myself, how do you even do it? How do you even get it done? Well, Linda went to a lot of clinics and anything that she does, she becomes a massive student of. And we'd both go to clinics and I'd come away from a, a Jason Leach clinic and, oh, that was really, really good. And I'd look across and Linda would have a book that had like 30 pages of information written in it. So I guess that says a bit about both of us. But both of us loved the sport and you know, I, I felt like I could see it, but Linda had the capacity to do it and the commitment to do it. So we were always, I'd be turning back and she'd be saying, what do you think? And I'd be saying a bit short or whatever. And Can I just ask you, Dan, have you ever had Pia turn back for you? Um, not really, you know, but we do work together. And this is, and even in my notes, I was like, you guys as a team, like it's not just Jim, but we've already talked about the kids. Like when you actually show, the kids and Jim uh, are in as help team as well. So you guys have obviously really rehearsed. So I imagine it's always smooth sailing. You guys just, <laughs> you guys just like get along all the time. We, it's got better over the years. Um, we've had some interesting times and uh, especially in the early times, early five or six years or seven years more turning back, probably only become um, better at being able to smooth out those rough patches in the last two years. Because he's listening to Olivia giving him advice. Yeah, and Jim can now operate with looks rather than words. Oh, very subtle. Mm-hmm. Good horse trainer. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So we can we can give each other looks to the point where only a few years ago we were at the Futurity in Tamworth and we were in one practice pen and the Tonkin family were in the second practice pen. And our practice pen was very, very quiet. <laughs> and the Tonkin practice pen was probably not so quiet. And I can remember um, walking away and Carrie ann saying to Amelia, we're walking together, Carrie ann said to Amelia, see Amelia, you should take a leaf out of their book. <laughs> he said, they, have, they, they don't yell at each other. Anyway, we got a bit further down the road and I said to Amelia, Amelia, don't listen to Carrie Ann. Little does Carrie Ann know that we had a massive argument last night and Jim slept in the front of the truck and we have not spoken since. <laughs> I thought you were just swearing through these looks, these eyebrow raises. <laughs> that happens. Yeah, yeah now. You got the certain looks. I only, yeah, we can operate from looks. It's good. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Amelia and always laugh about that. It's like, yeah, yeah things aren't always as they seem. No. You know, Pierre and I figured out real early that uh, when it was, we were all living together with Dan James and ourselves, he would sort of help here a bit more than I would and we certainly I don't think could could train horses like that together we sort of know she stays out of that realm or she's walked out a lot too if I um because it's always it's hard with your partner like yeah you know, I teach all day and I've got all the patience in the world all of a sudden Pierce steps in there and I've got zero patience yeah I just gotta think that she should uh read my mind so I could only just imagine what it's probably been like I, I ride with you guys a little bit but it's usually all pretty much fun and games and you know beer and skittles as they say but you're trying to tell me that maybe behind closed doors this the, not, the, the hardest always. part in all of it is now that I get those same looks off my 15 year old daughter and, and it means just as much <laughs> oh shit I better get there <laughs> well, probably more. Like, um, but there's nothing worse really than when you're trying to get a job done and the turn back person hops off the horse and leaves the arena yeah that would happen a lot if, if, if 
was yelling at Pierre turning back. Yeah, it's like, what do I do that, now? That would happen a lot. So yeah. then you've got to respect your turn back right, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah, definitely. And and look, to be fair, you both get better at what you're doing. Yeah. You know, you, well, you goes one way or another. You process. could get divorced. Yeah, yeah true, true, true. true. <laughs> and <laughs> it has happened in the cutting industry, dear. <laughs> <laughs> but Jim has this thing where he um he has a, he, we had a sign at our last place and it's yet to come up here where he had a sign on the gate and it said, leave your emotions at the gate. Yeah, good advice. And even if it's just that little, you know, significant sort of touch the sign, you know, yeah, or there's some days it. where there's, it can be really, you know, you can be having a really rough day and I often feel like some days you just not, on those days, it's just get the job done, keep it simple, work in a snaffle, yeah. don't just two turns, get out of there, just show up and get the job done. But the thing I have in my head is I just like to go there and work horses. Let's just work horses. Jim likes to ride the highs and the lows. So Jim likes to say, oh, that horse was so good today. Oh, that horse wasn't so great today. I'm like, no comments, just work horses. Yeah. Because the next day they're probably totally different. Yeah. And, and riding the highs and lows impacts me a little more than just working horses. And I just work them through it. And on the days where if I'm having a tough day physically or mentally, I just keep it really simple and I just put a snaffle on and I don't go to, to anywhere, you know, that I don't need to go to. Mm-hmm. And then there are days where I feel like I can really get there and, and do something different. But on those days, I just I just show up. So let's talk about Metallic Storm, right? So again, spoiler alert for the listeners, he was, you know, super successful with yourself and him, came reserve champion in the Open and you're a non-pro rider. I was an amateur rider too at that stage. Amateur as well. Mm-hmm. And you come second in the big futurity and then you win the non-pro all in the same year. I mean, I, I was at that futurity just watching and he just looked like he went from strength to strength. Every time you showed him, he just looked more mature, stronger, more of a show horse. Like, you know, a lot of those babies, as you know, end up deteriorating at the show and then some just get better. Like the champions tend to just get better and that's what it looked like. Let's now rewind and tell me from the start about Metallic Storm. So we bought Metallic Storm at the Nutrient Classic Sale in 2017 and um, it was I'd, – I'd finished selling my horses and he was to go through the ring on the Sunday and Tom Wimpson had said he really liked the horse but he was green. Yeah, he, and he had some – wasn't it? A bit of an issue with him. He'd hurt himself and so he was, yeah, very green and he was very green in the ring and um, – but he told me he'd liked him and I always have had so much um, regard and held Tom in high regard with regards to his opinion on genetics and horses. So I thought, oh, if he goes for a certain amount, we'll have a crack at him being a metallic cat. Metallic's cat had really not taken off at that point here as much as they have now. No. And anyway, he was sold on the Sunday and we had a friend of ours as an agent, Gavin Beard, there and I just said to Beardy, if he goes for – have us on the phone. If he goes for 20 grand, we're in. Anyway, he went for 22. 21. We got him, 21 we got him for. he's got a nickname, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, came short and naught because at the same sale, Wally Ray purchased uh, the one out of Donald the, Trump. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for 210 and we bought him for 21. Yeah. And someone at wasn't it somebody yeah, that's going? Yeah, I've heard Nichols. this rumor. Yeah, Heath Nichols. When I went to the the cattle sale the following Monday, he said, "Oh, how's old Shorter Nort?" I thought it was missing a Nort, but yeah, Shorter Nort. Yeah, Shorter Nort. Yeah. So no, it was um, it was also when the the cooler fires were on, and there's big fires oh, yeah. out at Cooler, and we couldn't even pick him up. We had to get people to pick him up because we had to go out to Linda's sister's place because they were un- 
under the threat of fires. And, yeah. yeah. But anyway, we got him home and, yeah, he was – I actually um, sent him to Link Bowman for a couple of months because he was pretty green and he was he was pretty naughty and um, he sort of got him through a lot of that. And then we got him home and I took him from there and I just – we were consistent and he just was a horse that just every day he got – he just went from one day to the next to the next if you could have, you know, the perfect increment. But did you think at the him. time I've got something special or – when I started riding, he just felt well. When you were on him, he floated and he just moved like you're on something special. And he had a presence to him too. Best thing I'd ridden, you know, for me, um, he was he was very special. The day that I thought he was something really special was we were at a pre work at Link Bowman's, and um, I was backing in with a cow, and he sort of got tangled up in his hind feet, and he come down, and I sort of come off him, and the horse got up, and he kept cutting by wow. himself, and this was before the futurity and yeah, months um, before. Yeah, we and we went. Wow, you know that was I'd, I'd never seen anything like that. But he was very special. And then I, we we kept very consistent with him too, though, because we thought we had something special. So I would say that um, that training program was definitely what helped him as well. We never missed. I can remember coming home from functions at midnight and going out and riding that horse. Wow. Or I would, and I was teaching at that time. We'd get up at four o'clock in the morning and work him. I never missed. And if we him. went to a show, he went. Even if like like a lot of those shows he. Because he was a stallion, you know, we'd have to get a stall for him and it wouldn't be near where we were parked and he was a yeah, pain in the backside but we knew, like, we had to keep taking him out. So he we, went everywhere. Yeah, we had him and another mare the same age, a, a um, Irish Chisholm mare. But they – so if I go back to um, – it was the Easter before the futurity of 2018 and um, that's when I first started to become unwell and um, we were at an event and I, I just knew I was unwell. And anyway, that went on and on until I ended up being um, – I was admitted to John Hunter and I was really sick and obviously diagnosed with MS. So um, at, I was in hospital for three days on methylprednisone, which is a uh, steroid that takes inflammation out of your brain. And then as a part of the diagnosis of MS, they ha- give you a lumbar puncture. And so I'd had the lumbar puncture to see if I had any MS um, proteins in my spinal fluid. And when I got home three or four days later, um, they told me, you know, just take it easy for a few days. So I got home and I'm on the on the lounge and I'm feeling devastated. There's a futurity. It's three weeks away. I only had the horse in the non-pro, but I was like, I thought I had something special. And um, Jim's like, oh, I'll keep work. So Jim. I rang Muzz Wilkinson and said, Muzz, can you come down and help me turn back? So <laughs> Muzz is there. A few other of our friends came. They were great. We had a lot of support. And anyway, Jim's out there working the horse in the arena and. Um, I thought I'm like marking an 80, you know, like I'm yeah, like, he's phenomenal, you know, we're like sliding six metres every stop. Linda comes hobbling down in the car, the seat laid back in her pyjamas watching and she, oh, next thing she hops out of the car and I was expecting her to go, well done, good that job. Was, that was unbelievable. She's like, get off the horse, <laughs> let me on him in her pyjamas, <laughs> I go get her boots. And she works him, don't you? And I worked him. Well, the next day after that, I was flat on my back and I just felt like every noise was like a – it's hard to explain in your, in your head, but basically what had happened is as a result of that, my lumbar puncture 
it had leaked, so I'd lost all the spinal fluid Whoa. from around my brain and out of my spine. And um, I ended up back in John Hunter and I had to have what's called a blood patch, which is a nasty, nasty procedure. But basically I was I was really sick. And so I was out for two weeks and they always do the fertility draw 10 days before the fertility. So I'd been out of hospital for probably four days. And to enter any of the open events, if you've named the horse in the non-pro, you can leg it up. So it's the day the draws are being done. And um, I said, uh, we always thought we'd put him in the open. It was my first go at going in an open event. But our world had just crashed. And anyway, Jim said, woke up that morning, I'll never forget, Jim said, um, I think if you think you can ride at all, you let myself and, and Sarah Kaslik was with us loping at the time and the kids, you let me and Sarah and kids do all the work and you just hop on and show and you go in everything you can go in because I honestly thought I may not be able to walk the next year. Like I, I didn't know what was going to be ahead of me and it could have happened. And um, so, and he said, and he looked at me, I'll never forget it, it's going to make me cry now, but he said to me, Linda, think about his name. And I was like, yeah, Metallic Storm. And he said, think about the initials. Wow. I didn't, yeah. Yeah. MS. And he said, I think that horse was sent to you for a reason and you've got to ride in everything you can. So we did. We entered him in everything. And um, it was a very, I was sick at that event. I I really remember being like, I just, riding was an effort. However, I was taking it all in, like, Jim and the kids and Sarah would do everything with horses. I'd get up early. I was juicing because I was trying to get myself. I was really unwell. So I'd had my spinal, um, my spine and my brain had the, as a part of the blood patch, they fill it with your blood rather and then over time, over a 12-month period, your blood, body then converts that back to spinal fluid. But you need to do that to get the pressure around your brain. So like, and I'm sick and I've got headaches and I'm, I just feel terrible. So I was juicing, I was getting up early walking, I was trying to meditate, I was, I was doing everything I possibly could and I was taking every moment in because I honestly didn't know if I'd do it again. So I can remember listening to the sounds and smelling the smells and feeling the sand under my feet and in every single event, that's how I felt and I felt like every event was that I wrote, every time I crossed that timeline was a bonus and so I never went there with any expectation. I was full immersed in just the process and um, I don't know how it happened it was one of those years where you know, I won the amateur for first and second the amateur for charity I was third in the non-pro for charity I was one I was co-champion in the non-pro classic challenge and a reserve champion in the You're open third, oh, third in the derby non-pro yeah, derby won the amateur derby. won the amateur derby and second in yeah, the reserve champion in the open for charity and I led right to the last horse and you know it's weird I, I watched every horse in that open final um, I was so excited to make the Open Futurity final because I was so excited about the race before the final. Oh, yeah. Yep. The famous <laughs> race. The famous race. And I'll never forget, yeah, it was a bit of a Jason Leach and Phil Dawson like, you're going down. And, you know, we had this big, I'd borrowed a horse because I wanted to win that. That was fun. And then um, I was third out in the first set. and Good draw. Yeah, it was a good draw. Phil Dawson was fourth out, but he's in my turn back team. And he's he's been a great support to me. And he came up to me behind the judges box. They're waiting for me to cross the timeline. And he comes up to me and he just sort of grabbed me on the arm and he went hey I went, yeah he said least mistakes wins the futurity don't complicate it so, good advice yeah I said, okay anyway so I went down there and yeah I scored a 219 and he was on shines like metallic after me and he was at 217 218 and I was first he was second all the way to the last horse and I, I I watched every horse I clapped for every horse I really wasn't you know sometimes when you're in that position you can't watch or you can't bear it I I, I didn't feel like that and I, I did 
feel people around me watching my reaction to the, to the scores. Yeah, I yeah. did feel that, yeah. but it didn't worry me. And then, yeah, Todd went around me last horse out. And, man, for an amateur rider yeah. to get reserve champion to Todd Graham in the opportunity, I was pretty happy. Absolutely. We, I, I was actually going to ask who won because at, it wasn't the story of the show. You were the story of the show. You know, you have an amazing show. Obviously, just recently diagnosed, as you mentioned, and, and that was in the notes because I was going to sort of start to ease our way into it because it's it's changed what you guys have done, hasn't it? Yeah. Like that that was obviously you didn't have any time to think, but moving forward, what's that done for you guys and your family? We've made huge changes. It, 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 we were only talking about this last this week and we were saying we believe it's been a gift to us. We believe that um, my diagnosis has changed our lives and been nothing but a gift and um, everything for the better. Yeah. The, the MS, like it has, and that we, as you said, we were talking about the other day, because I guess it it was the it was the point in your life where you turn around and you you go right oh we're we're both still we're in our forties we've still got a lot of life to, to live and if we're going to do what we truly want to do let's do it now and it was the catalyst to to make those changes and it yeah it's I think we've got like, the best years of our life ahead of us. So um, Jim was in a family business and it wasn't um, he was very entrenched in a family business so it wasn't easy. And to- was he still working like what you? talked about when you had the little children is he is he gone from basically sun up to sundown yeah basically he yeah. was he uh, was still we were, working we were so we've always been the sort of people that we take on a lot and you know we had a place on king island that um had a lot of cattle on it like had probably 14 or 1500 cattle on it um that i was running and then we had a business that was you know selling 50 60 000 cattle a year and and selling rural property and merchandise and and then we had country at Scone, and then we were training cutting horses. Mm-hmm. We were full on. We had a cattle stone. And then the kids, the kids were just sitting around watching, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had all those school. Oh, imagine just taking yeah. them to all the practices and yeah. You yeah. know, so you're busy, and now it's 2018. You make this decision. So we didn't make the decision straight away. The first few years, it was just about when I look back on that, you don't realize how unwell you are until you start to feel a little better. And I feel like it took me. I was very sick for two years, and I tried to push on. I don't accept that very well. And I wasn't a very nice person to be around, to be completely honest, um, to my friends or to my family and or to my, you know, my husband and kids. It was it was hard and it was hard for me to accept what I was going through and let alone for them to to try and understand and appreciate. It it was personal journey, but you know, they they've been fantastic. But the first two years or three years were quite hard. Then we decided that um and it was right in the in the middle of the drought and it was extremely hot and the heat actually um exacerbates your or MS symptoms because of the inflammation. So we decided, and I'd read a lot and I was trying to educate myself and we decided to move to a cooler climate. So making that move, the decision to leave the business that Jim had been entrenched in since he was a tiny child and then to leave the family um, area, both our families are in the area, and um, to move to a, a different area, it was a very, it wasn't easy. And and I'm sure you've been through that moving from WA, but um, for us to do that, it, w- it was difficult and that took a pro, that took a time frame. 
frame. It was yeah. probably, that was a couple of years. For us to make that decision to actually get it done, it was a couple of years. But um, it's been it's been a really great decision, we believe, for us. Yeah, but it's not just changing your postcode, is it? Because now you, you're working a lot of horses. Yeah. So, you you know, back then too, we're talking about Italic Storm, you had two Futurity horses, a couple of Derby horses, whatever. But I, I've been riding with you guys for over the last few months and, you know, just with your own horses, you've got a 10 or a dozen. Yeah, yeah, we are. Jim's, Jim's turning back and Olivia's riding with you guys and it seems like there's more lifestyle change from the story than just postcode. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, definitely. And that, but that's, it's kind of resulted as, you know, I guess it, it, it's gone on. It was never, we wanted to train our own horses, yes, and we love to breed nice horses. That's always been something we really enjoy. But it more become about um, if you could sit back and you could write down every single thing that you would is on your bucket list or that you would love to achieve in this lifetime. If you there was no limitations, no financial limitations, no physical limitations, no 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 family limitations. If you could just truly write from the heart a list of things and you could write them down, for us it become for me especially because I didn't know how much longer I could do this for. I it become imperative that I try and start ticking that list and and you live in a different way and we started to live in a different way and and just start to to set those goals go about it and making a way to achieve them and I know you know it's all right for people to say out there oh but you know I guess you could do that or whatever but man we've made some sacrifices to get that done. 100% you've already just mentioned a small handful already you know just from moving and your businesses and everything else and the work-life balance as we talked about is another thing that you've had to sort of control in this time frame but is that what sort of led you now to writing more is it is it the fact that you've got that in the back of your mind how long you can do this for yeah I guess I've got goals that I'd like to achieve um and in in that realm but I also I really really enjoy it and I also want to be able to give other people that experience as well I I love to teach of course being a teacher and I miss teaching and you're good at it thank you (laughs) but I, I, I really love it and I'm I'm quite passionate about it and for me I just want to see for me I guess taking on all these horses and now taking on outside horses it's not just for me to it's not about me winning the open futurity that it's not about my ego of course I love to train good horses but for me I want to see other help other people cross the timeline and I want to see other people get back in the arena it doesn't matter what it is because I think if if you have a set number of limitations often those limitations are the ones that we put on ourselves and so if we can get to that place where we can work through those limitations that's what I would like to do and that's my passion do I want to train a lot of good horses of course I do I love giving other people the opportunity it's about Olivia as well um, and it's about our staff as well you know that they're very passionate and they're fantastic and they help us they're such a big part of what we do and such a part of our team but yeah I just I just want to see um, I, I love our industry our industry's grown too like let's be fair I believe that the performance horse industry has gone from strength to strength in the last few years so that's probably opened up an opportunity for me as well that I didn't really see five years ago sure yeah. so then circling back to this bucket list can I ask what's on the bucket list share a few obviously well, well I guess I, I guess for me it was um, I, stock and stage and agency was a was a great uh, career for me and I really enjoyed it and um, it was 
you know, I guess it was what I it was all that I really knew because my dad was an agent. I was getting pulled out of school to go and work at sale yards, but deep down, I always had a passion to get on a place, and that's what I wanted to do. And I think that was one thing for me. I wanted to run a place. We wanted to get to a point where we had great cattle, great horses, and a great place. You know, that was our goal. Well, you can tick that one off. So you've done that. What's next? Oh. What else is on the list? I want to. I want to know. Well, uh, for me, I I would love to see um i would love to see both my kids achieve not so much like i don't want them to to pursue or chase a goal i want them to work out what it is they're passionate about and then go and do it that that's I guess another one of my things with with the horses and with Linda, um, I would love to her to win an open futurity, but or, or at a bare minimum, if if Linda can't, I'd love to see Liv or Pete. Um, but yeah, I, I think for us, it's just we want to have like phenomenal horses, and we want to be seen to be um, you know not leading the way, but be um, innovative in what we do. Yeah, because whether we had, when we had a cattle start or whatever, we never did what the norm did. We, we tried to think outside the square and, and go and do it. So, yeah, I guess that's whether it's a bucket list thing. Oh, and I, th- I think I would love – and one of the things I'd love to do is I'd love to train a horse and show it in the US – or Linda to train a horse and show it in the US maturity. And I'd love to take two horses from here, go to the States and show over there for a month or six weeks or three months. So would that be you train a maturity horse here in Australia and take and it ship across. it and then continue to show over there? Yeah. Jim wants to breed a horse. USA time yep. and like Lindsay Wheatley has done yep. and then for us to train it and then send it across and wow. yeah go and so that's something I'd like to do we, yeah I wanted to compete over there which we did I can um, be the strapper yeah love you too I've been on you planes with horses before so I can do the whole trip across that'd be awesome um, yeah we wanted to own try and get access to really great genetics so we went and bought a horse over there this year and um, went and showed it at the Brazos Bash and that was fantastic in October of this year and um, so, yeah, we'd love to, to breed a horse American time, go and show it in the futurity. We've always said I've wanted to do the grow no man thing one day and go all the way around Australia. Yeah, yep. here and I have got that. Jim doesn't want to do that. So his um, his bucket list item he believes that is of equal weight yep. is to, when the kids get older, we would love to go to the States, buy ourselves a really beautiful rig and buy ourselves two of the best show horses we can and just go on the road and just haul for the world. Okay. That's Jim's. This is what I was equal. trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. This, this is what I wanted. I don't have to buy them over there. But yeah. yeah. Either way, but you want it. That's cool. That's yeah, I'd love to do that. But does that mean if you do that, then you're going to go around Australia with Linda? Oh. Or you think this is either <laughs> that, or, or instead of? At least then I can go like and we can stay at motels and stuff. Oh, so you know, <laughs> it's not a good, you, know, you don't want the Outback experience. Nah. You know what people kill for that experience? Yeah, yeah. I want to do it. All right, just one more little personal part. I want to wrap up the MS. So we're. Where you, you diagnosed within 2018, we're here in 2022 and near on the end of 2022. What's progression? What, where are we at? So basically I was on for three years from 2018 to the start of 2000 and um, – well, well – 2018 to 2021, I had had very limited progression. So I, I caught my MS pretty early and um, there were a limited number of lesions. So for me, there were three lesions and the average person is diagnosed when there are 15 to 20 lesions. So that was great. I just trusted – I knew there was something wrong with my body and I trusted my intuition and I didn't stop digging till I found out. Yeah. So I, I that was fantastic. Then I had no progression. I was on no drugs. 
COVID hit. And so I didn't go back to have an MRI for 18 months, which was not great on my part, but um, we were at home. I did have the um, vaccinations in that time. And then at the start of 2000, and and I wouldn't say I was feeling good. I wasn't unwell, but I wasn't great. So at the start of 2021, um, I went, sorry, 2022, February this year, I went back for an MRI that I hadn't been for 18 months and I had a lot of progression. So I had 15 new lesions. Wow. Which was huge. Yeah. My neurologist just said, you need to start treatment or sorry, you'll end up in a wheelchair very soon. And I was like, and I didn't want to. I was devastated. My world stopped turning. Anyway, so I did. I had did start treatment. Um, I have to go to Tamworth Hospital once a month and have uh, an infusion of Tysabri, which is a drug that actually coats my white blood cells so that they can't permeate my blood-brain barrier to get into my brain to do the damage. And so I've had that now since um, April. I started it, and um, when this podcast is is being um, recorded, it is now November. So I've had eight treatments and um, when I went to have my MRI two weeks ago for a six-month checkup, um, I had had incredible results. So I'd ha- I've, I've responded incredibly to that treatment. I've had some of my lesions have disappeared and some have reduced in size, which my neurologist was pretty blown away. And he said, you know, I need to, if I can continue the treatment and I continue my lifestyle factors, I, I, I look after myself pretty well. I have to. I know I do. Um, diet, exercise, sleep, all that all sort of factors of lifestyle are very important to me. And he said, um, I predict if you have this um, outcome again in another six months and then another six months after that, he said, my t- prediction will be that you will live a normal life. So, so is this new technology? Because um, my cousin, who I like to call a twin cousin because we were actually born right next to each other, so exactly the same time, and so we grew up really close. He's diagnosed with MS and it was quite scary in our family because um, then we, it was before we had kids, so then we had to do a bit of tracing to see where it came from and it was on his mum's side which is my mum's sister so then you know she had to get tested and mum got tested and, and our side of the things were clear but then you know it's affected him quite significantly and as far as I knew at the time there wasn't a lot of treatment uh, it was again about the progression he explained it to me everyone's different so he just had muscle wasting away on, on his shoulder but at the moment now he's, he doesn't have a lot of back muscle he's actually um, bought himself a gym like that's his business now like he, he looks after himself incredibly well but you know it's still attacking his body quite vigorously so this technology you're talking about with the infusion and the fact that you sounds like you're reversing it a little bit is this new technology or no this treatment's been around for quite a while um 15 years i think i did read the other day but however if you have a virus in your body which 50 percent of people do um have in their body it's a jcv virus and it actually that virus can attack your brain and you can end up with a brain infection so 50% of people carry it in their body and they don't even know they have it. So I have to have a blood test every six months to check. And if I have that virus, I can't have this treatment because basically what would happen is if I, I, you know, that virus was to attack my brain because my white blood cells can't get into my brain to fight the infection, you, you'd most likely die. So I have to keep it top of that. If you end up with that virus, I will then have to change treatment. There's a myriad, like they've made some great advancements with treatment with MS and I think some treatments suit some people you know more, and it does depend on the type of MS that you have whether it's a progressive MS or not you know not so progressive 
But um, I read something the other day where they do believe they will find a cure for MS within wow. the next two years. However, it will take a long time to get that through the pharmaceuticals. So, you know, it may be 10 years before it's available, but my goal is to stay as well as I can in that 10-year period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, you look, you're doing all the right things and obviously it's working for you. So we're getting towards the tail end. Something's changed just recently. So you've gone from a non-pro. I needed to ask you if I'm allowed to talk about this, but obviously I'm talking about it. So Because this could be breaking news for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you've handed in your ticket. Uh-huh. Are we saying it out loud? Yes, yeah. I've handed in my ticket. Wow. So this is an exciting time. So you're now officially a professional? Yeah, so I'll just be competing in the open events. Yep. And t- taking them. What does it mean? Well, I can take outside horses and train outside horses, um, which is great. But I, I'm not the – I don't really – my goal is not to um, train 30 or 40 horses. My tr- goal is to, you know, I'll take some horses, but my goal is I really want to be able to teach the concepts of cutting or teach and, and even just to teach the concepts of working horses, you know, cattle horse or cow horses. And basically if I was to go out and do that and keep my non-pro um, – like keep my non-pro certification that I would be breaking the rules. So, yeah, so this just frees it up so that I can, I guess my goal is to try and encourage people to um, get out there and get across the timeline, whether it's cutting, camp drafting, challenge cow horse. I just want to be that person who can help other people. In clinics, I've seen, I've seen you've just released uh, your first Yes, clinic. yeah. So my clinic model will be a little different. So I'm going to incorporate a lot of principles of, of health and well-being within the clinic. So I I have also just studied um, a health coaching course, and um, so my my goal is to include those those principles in my um, clinics as well. So yeah, it'll be a little different. Maybe I should come along. I can see you in tights doing yoga in the morning. Yeah, it wouldn't be pretty, unfortunately. It's all right, downward dogs. They're not that bad. I've tried I've tried yoga a couple of times when when we've gone away for family holidays and Pierre like yourself, likes keeping herself fit and healthy and um, she's doing yoga and she, you know, I'm getting around like an old man. Because funnily enough, horse riding actually keeps – the best I feel is when I'm riding. So when I'm away and I'm not riding, I get out of bed, I'm stiff, I'm sore, and she's yeah, yoga will make you feel better, yoga will make you – so I'm like, radio. I, I succumb to it. So I get out, I'm doing the yoga for 20 minutes and going through the YouTube stuff, feeling like a real dork, and I do it for a few days while we're away, and she's always saying, you feel better now, you feel – and it's like, yeah, maybe I feel better, whatever. So we come home, and uh, just another little sponsor shout-out here. I've got one of these Equisage backpads things and i decide i'm going to bring that out and just ride a pad they call get back on that and so i was waking up early with pierre watching her do 20 minutes of yoga while rest, uh, resting on the equisage back pad i felt just as good 20 minutes of sitting on that watching pierre do yoga i was like i don't need to do the yoga and uh, anyway we had the thought we fought about that and i'm like i feel just as good and you know i'm still up early and and watching the yoga and everything else so i don't know if that might not cut it could be creepy if it if that's what i'm doing it well one thing that i um, find difficult is i don't don't like I usually love to get up and do yoga early in the mornings, but I do not like doing it where anyone can see me. And that's mostly because if I'm doing my yoga in our bedroom, Jim for some reason walks in, it then turns into a hey uh, <laughs> oh, no, Whoa. Uh, yeah. It's downward dog and yeah. a, you know, <laughs> upward cat and a, with the, it kind of progresses from there. Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. So it's so not it very has po- to be in a closed space so, or away from home. So it's obviously not very productive, is what you're saying. Yeah, if, no. if you start it too early. 
early. So yeah, so the clinics that's new and it's going well. Like first clinic books out straight away. That's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting and a few more booked in. So we'll be releasing those dates shortly and um, got some other exciting things which we're about to release as well along the lines of a mentorship program. And um, we we hope to advance to run some health retreats here at home as well. So yeah, it's exciting, exciting times. Yeah, well, I look forward to to seeing this progression, but also being somewhat involved because I'll be continuing to come back if you'll have me and riding with you guys now and hopefully um, you can coach me through my sort of, I guess, um, involvement in cutting as I've started to sort of develop a little bit that way coming from the horsemanship background and camp drafting challenges and I've started, you know, doing snaffle bit cutting and a little bit of cutting and I've just noticed the improvement in my horsemanship as well as particularly for my cattle disciplines, just getting way more control and looking at things a a whole lot different. So, you know, for the listeners, I'm I'm sure there'll, you know, be a lot of them already that, that know who you are and what you do but for the others that don't you know we can't recommend highly enough to come out here and see both you guys and and hopefully you know do one of your clinics or get some lessons or whatever that might be but before we get on to some quick questions because we're going to wrap things up here shortly this is the the foresight series that we're going to be doing for the next few podcasts i'm going to ask you a couple of foresight questions how did you first hear or learn about the product foresight well i first we first learned about foresight from our vet so um our vet's phil mansion and he was the first one to recommended us to use the product um, Foresight and yeah we've been on that journey for about five years and then so you'd been using the product for about five years you did also say when we're having dinner too the dogs are on the dog version of Foresight well not quite I was trying to um, talk myself up when I was showing my um, (laughs) canine training skills when I could put the dash hound on the lounge and make it stay there it was great jumping (laughs) yeah that's what I thought so maybe yes we will be expanding to canine Foresight have you got well then have you got a good story about use of foresight like have you had any you know stories where your horses have responded really well or is there anything in particular so we have all our horses on foresight from once when we start to ride them basically from when they're breakers and um we it's so simple and so easy to use so when we ride our horses every day as they go back to their paddocks they all get their foresight and um our vet will attest that our horses have had the most consistency with their soundness and well-being in our program um, as what they have been for, for, you know, in the last few years is what they have been for every time before that. So I, I definitely feel like it makes a huge difference for our horses, without a doubt. Absolutely. Well, I've got a few quick questions. <clears throat> Excuse me, just to, to wrap us up. And it's it's going to be some that you both answer and then some individually. The, the first one that I'm going to ask you, Linda, is what makes Jim unique? Because he's a unique character, I think. He's a very unique character. Probably the thing that um, makes Jim unique is his ability to make me laugh. He's a bit of a funny guy. He is a funny guy. And he, um, yeah, even though now we've progressed to the kids and I roll our eyes and go, oh, dad, joke. <laughs> However, he still can make you laugh at the, um, and, and also his ability to have a great conversation. Yeah, and the little agency coming out in him there, yeah. being a good agent. Yeah. What, what about, this is one for Jim, what's a random fun fact about Linda? It's really throwing you guys uh, random fun on the spot here. About Linda. Something we don't know. Um, it's not multiple choice either. And you can't, <laughs> you can't find, a, you can't phone a friend. Random fun fact about Linda. I haven't, I haven't seen him 
lost for words. Um, it's all right. I'll she, edit out the long pauses. She is a um, – oh, how can I say this? She is a random fun fact about Linda. <laughs> I can't say that. I can't go there. Linda, can I come back to you? <laughs> all right. I'm literally – I don't think this has ever happened in quick questions before, but we are going to circle back to it. This is one that you can answer together or, or separately. But what's your most favourite place on earth other than being home? For me, it's King Island. It's very simple. A little place called Disappointment Bay. <laughs> well, your your right. answer to the last question <laughs> might, <laughs> might no, be it'll, disappointment. It'll tie in because I have an answer for that now. Okay. All right. Linda, what about yourself? For me, it's um, anywhere in the mountains. I actually find the mountains really um, – they put me – make me feel like I'm – one very small speck in a very big world and, and put things into perspective. And are we talking like Great Dividing Range mountains? Are we big talking? mountains, big mountains. Anywhere? Yeah, just big mountains. So you a like, beautiful view. Do you like skiing? Is that something? I do like skiing, but I can't ever get my family there. But I do love skiing. I've been to the snow, but I've never never skied, so I'm looking forward to that opportunity as well. Do you want me to come back to you? I, I'm ready for it whenever you... I'm going to go... Oh, I'll hit it, hit it now. What's? I'll, we'll pretend we're starting again here. Jim, give us a fun fact about... Okay. Linda, that we might not know. When we go on family holidays at beach, unbeknownst to the kids and I, Linda always ends up nude. (laughs) Okay, we're going to need to hear this in context now. So you're going away on a family trip to the beach. Yeah. She ends up nude on the beach. There's there's a nudie run. Uh, On the beach, Linda? Are we finding out too much information here? I just like to um, shock them a little bit. Yeah. You know what, Dan? The other Dan does the albino kangaroo, and it's basically the same thing but he tucks he tucks everything in And then he, and the first time I got to see that was um, we were doing a show in WA and it was a long drive and it was a big truck and, and I've only got a medium rigid license. He's got an articulated license so I couldn't drive and he was getting a bit tired. So he stepped out of the truck and went for a pee and then we're just like sitting in the truck and the headlights are on, it's night time. And then I don't know whether it be maybe 30 metres, 40 metres up the road, he comes out pretending to be a kangaroo hopping across the road, all the clothes off, things tucked in, hopping like a kangaroo kangaroo across it and then through the bush like you don't see him go up the side of the road he's gone via the bush yeah one way come across the road come back down the bush got his clothes back on hopped into the truck and then he's just like oh, hey guys anything happened <laughs> and I, I hadn't seen this side of him before and we're just obviously in a couple well, this is linda and to give context to that we we're at king island on the beach on christmas day the only people on the beach had an awesome lunch linda's like snuck off at some stage and next thing comes running back nude in front of the kids and I. The funny part was is Pete found where her clothes was, went and grabbed them, and two cars drove up. <laughs> oh, right. So you were no longer so the only ones on the beach. So it shouldn't be called Disappointment Bay anymore. They need to change the name. <laughs> So is this a conscious thing that you think now every holiday I've got to do this to make sure well, it's Well, I'm not going to do it at Coogee. Fair enough. Yeah, it has to be. Probably like, would fit right in yeah, there. Yeah, you'd probably get away with yeah. it. <laughs> I, I don't know. You won't be the only one. Well, actually I might. I don't know if you've read one of my blogs, but in one of my blogs I refer to there was a tattooed woman on the beach. It was after I got my really bad news of, and, and I decided to stay at Coogee that night. So the next one I got up at sunrise, there's something about sunrise over the water that would be my other most favorite place on earth and I got up really early and I was there at sunrise and Coogee's buzzing as it always is that's why I love it and um, anyway, I'm there and I'm sad I'm looking out over the 
the water. And then I looked over and there was one lady there and she was meditating on the beach of Coogee, butt naked, but she had tattoos from top to bottom and her perky little nipples were just pointing <laughs> at the sun. And I, and, and I just not only, like I just thought, I one day want to do what she's doing. I want to be that okay in my own skin. Oh, I thought you were going to say you're going to go and join her. Yeah, well, I wanted to. I really do. I know one day I'm so going me to. Me too, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to. She was amazing. That that woman on the beach, I'll never forget it. It was like, how can you be just – but then I think what she had been through and what the, all of those tats must stand for, for her to then, you know, feel that confidence to sit on the beach in Coogee butt naked in the sunrise. Well, let's hope she's listening to this podcast and we can find out a little bit more about her <laughs> because she sounds like she might be interested yeah, yeah, to, uh, to interview as well. Have you guys – talking about WA, have you been to WA? I never have. I have once. Where did you go in WA? We went to Cottesloe. We went nice to, into Perth. Yep. And then we went out to um, – what's that place out west where they – Cooper Pete, no? We are west, so it's only the ocean. Uh, east. East. Okay. And what was it like? All I can remember because I was – 15 year old and there was a group of my parents friends went and I can remember it was quite um, an interesting place and I remember driving down a street in the bus because my dad was a very humorous man and he'd had quite a few beers and it was like it was very rural okay driving down the street in this bus and it was like the red light district of like the most outback place you've ever been oh Kalgoorlie Kalgoorlie we're at Kalgoorlie very east we're talking about seven hours out of Perth yes and we drove down and I never forget it because I was like this fourteen-year-old girl was looking out the window. Yeah. I could see with these girls sitting in windows. With I don't like think it's, flashing it hasn't changed a bit. Really, it'd be exactly the same. I haven't been there for probably seven or eight years, but it ha- it does not change. That is Kalgoorlie. It's still, go. where I think when you said about uh, the sunrise, what's better than a sunrise over the beach is a sunset. Definitely. Yeah. So Broome, if you're yes. talking about a bucket list, yeah, right. You have to go to Broome Cable Beach. It's the prettiest spot in the world, in a way, regardless of sunset. But it's very fun. So when you're talking about that, I'm like, I've been to a sunrise on the beach. It's the sunset. That's what yeah. you want to be at. So Yeah, I remember. That, was, that it makes it beautiful. So oh, beautiful. I might know the answer to this one because we did talk about it at dinner. What's favourite movie or a TV show? Well, Yellowstone or 1883. I actually rated 1883 more than Yellowstone, mm. the TV show. Uh, I I would say that for a TV show, but um, for a movie, for me too, The Green Mile yeah. and The Notebook. Oh, a bit different. Two ends of the spectrum. Have you seen the? I think it's called the Green Book. No. All right, you're gonna like that because that's almost a bit of a blend of the two in a weird, weird way. It's not a very good synopsis, but um, it's won plenty of Academy as well. I'm pretty sure it's based off a true story, but I, I, I won't um, yet to tell you too much about it. But the Green Book, if you ever like the Green Mile and like the Notebook, it's almost putting the two yeah, together. That's the, amazing. The Green Book. Can't wait. All right, now I've, I actually threw this one on purpose. Music choices because I know. I found this out last time I was here, Jim. What do you got to share with us? Uh, Eminem. I'm a massive Eminem. I couldn't. Fan. I thought he was taking the piss out of me last no, time no, because no, no. I've copped a lot of criticism no, on this pop I will podcast. Back, I'll back you to the end of the earth. There Eminem, we, mate. I the, love him. There we go. Well, I just feel like, and that when you say movies, that's my favorite. Eight movie. Mile. Eight Mile. Twenty years. I, I it's love twenty it. years and this I, week or yeah, something. Well, I need to watch yeah. it again. I love it. Yeah, it's doing a big anniversary. It's because like, I feel like what person. Like Elvis was the last person to do what he did yep. to take black music as a white person.
and 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 be successful. And I'm I'm a massive fan of poetry. I'm a massive Banjo Patterson fan. And Eminem is just modern poetry. It's he's so clever. Would never have picked it. What about you? I'm a country fan. I'm a bit of a Eric Church. It's one of my favourite country. Yeah, I love Eric Church. Mm. So you don't. So you like just music and, yeah, in the genre. Yeah. yeah. But I, 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 Pete and like Pete and I like we go to the cricket where like oh, that's out. your hype yeah. music. Yeah, we've also like not just Eminem, um, but yeah, like oh, Nipsey Hustle. I love Nipsey Hustle. <laughs> Listen to it over here. Yeah. You, you need to have your own blog about his music choices. I think. Good idea. We'll add it. We'll add that what, to our do list. You, do you have hype music, Linda? When you're going to compete? I, I actually, f- if I hear a song during the year that I feel like gives me a little toot, then I try to remember that. I remember Metallic Storm song we picked, and I listened to that song over and over again, and it was Thunder and Magic we, Dragons. Yeah, 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 Magic Dragons. Yeah, I performed to that song. I only actually just performed to it at Equitana. Wow, I remember. Usually, I don't like doing that because I don't like thinking about the song because I, I don't hear that when I'm competing. But for that some reason, we did with him, and I just remember listening to that song over and over. I guess it's almost the law of attraction, a bit of manifestation, you know, in that regard. But I did listen to that song over and over. All right. Well, this goes straight into this song, this song, I should say. Question, what song did you guys dance to your first dance at your wedding? Do you remember? It's a bad story. Yeah. This can we a, not bring that up? Yeah. We can edit it out, but now I want to sort of listen. Well, we, Lin, Linda is <laughs> Okay, Jim can't dance. He can Neither dance. Cannot. Jim cannot dance. You, are you no, saying you can or you no, can't? No, I can't. Jim Neither can't can dance. Can so can't we dance. actually went and had dancing lessons for, for about weeks. <laughs> six weeks before. Oh, you serious? I thought you were going to Serious. And we had a root, days before. routine yep. for our wedding like, So not not just the waltz, like you're no. going to do. We were going to do like. With the bridesmaids or just yourselves? Just, yeah, just us. Yeah. Just routine, us. Right? And it was going to end and what with was the, the song? big old like lift off the floor and it was like. Elton John. I was thinking you going to say Dirty Dancing. And it was Can You Feel the Love Tonight, right? And it was awesome. But then, and looking back, I actually think that my sisters felt sorry for me. They were my bridesmaids and they really needed to interrupt the routine. But they come in and everyone's come on the dance floor oh, and we didn't know. get to do it. Us. We didn't get to do it. And so I'm like the bride from hell going, no, no, don't come in for this Let dance me yet. Let it. me finish. And we didn't get to finish. Oh, we need to reenact this for a wedding anniversary. <laughs> Has to be. Do you think you would remember it? No, not a chance in the world. Can dude. we can we find this instructor somewhere? I don't know. I'm assuming it's Scone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She was the dance teacher D- there. Dancing's for been a, a, a really pivotal part of our relationship. Our first night together, I was actually dancing hot plant. I try to get him to learn to two-step and you can't get there, but I love, um, I'll often watch on Facebook. Dusty Whitford. Dusty Whitford, you know, Whitford Colt starting. Dusty. He's, he's making, it, making it hard for me, And Dusty. he will often put on his story. Oh, yes, of course I know who you're talking about. So yeah. I was thinking music all of a sudden. No. But He'll, no, no, yeah, Dusty, yeah. He awesome, will put yeah. on his story when he takes yeah, his, his partner out for a good old two-step. Yeah, he, but he's talented. I've oh. been watching his stuff too. He's not just restricted to horses or dancing. No, no. no. He's, he's, talent. he's making it hard for me. Yeah, I get you. Yeah, I get. I don't show Pierre that stuff. Lucky Pierre doesn't really get on social yeah. media. So I, like, look at this bloke. Why can't you dance like that? Yeah, and then work out like him. Oh, watch them dance. Oh, here oh. we go. Yeah. All right, next question. Yeah. This one you'll like, Jim. We talked about, you know, all the nice stuff, lovey-dovey, 
you're great, everyone's perfect. But what does Linda do that irritates you? What's one thing? And don't worry, it's vice versa. So, Linda, you're going to get your chance. But if there's just one thing that just it's the gets tra- on your it's, nerves. It's the trait I love about her and it's what makes her so good at what she does. But it's a perfectionism. Like You love it but you hate it. Yeah, like you, there is so much order to everything and it's what I, I get what makes it good but it, it, it's frustrating, yeah. Hard to live with at times, fair enough. Yeah. So now you get a rebuttal. Mine's probably the opposite. Lynn, is, Jim's lack of organisation. <laughs> this is the yin and yang. Yin so, and yang. Yeah. I'd like, you know, he actually used to say it was a teacher trait so I would have lists everywhere. Oh, that's just a female trait, buddy. <laughs> and he hated it. Hated it. Yeah, I get you. We've been married now for 18 years and still doesn't like the list. I've got a theory about balance. I share it in my clinics and I think it's related to horses and then I think it's related to couples as well. So a lot of times, because they like to say, you know, opposites attract and things like that, but it's not always the way. And I always think about like, it's sort of like an extrovert or an introvert and zero to me being balanced and like plus 10, positive, negative 10. I'm like, when you guys are on scales, I reckon with horses and with humans, if someone's a plus three, they're best suited to a negative three. They're a plus 10, they need to find a negative 10. So what you're saying there is pretty aligned with being a negative 10 and a plus 10 because it's pretty extreme if you're going to be, you're looking at me a bit funny there, Linda. (laughs) You're almost scary. So why can't people be organised? Like seriously. Yeah, but if you're both, honestly, if you're both that organised, it wouldn't work. I promise you. It's not hard. Make a list, you tick it off. It would not work. You you need that that side of gym to keep things grounded. Exactly. All of a sudden, you both get too obsessed with lists and nothing gets done because all you're doing is writing lists. Imagine how much you get done. Yeah, but you're writing a list about the list that you wrote. You're like, oh, today I've got to write a list about all the things I've got to do. And then it's like, I've got to write a list to remind myself to check the list off. And Jim hates it when I wake up in the morning because I wake up in the morning and I'm buzzing. You know, I've got to do this. What X, time do you wake up in the morning? Oh, man, I've got better, but I used to wake up at like three, oh, get up and do things. But now I at least go to five. And anyway, I wake up and I'll just like start thinking about things. And then Jim will barely be awake and I'll say, did you, you know, did you change the oil in that yesterday or did you get that done yesterday? And he, and he just, I can feel it. <laughs> and he just starts to, you know, like overflow with anger. But I can't stop. I'm like, and what about that phone call? Did you ring that person or did you organise that? And then and then it's just so I, I have had to really learn that when I wake up, I need to leave, you know, you need to leave the area. Yeah. You remove yourself. It's like or with just, the big brother or, or house, it's time to leave. First. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fi- I'm really on Jim's side on this one, unfortunately, Linda. I'm like, I could just, I was just like, yeah, I get that. I often do respond with, yeah, good morning to you. No, I didn't ring him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like they were, they've were already been awake, you know, for an hour going through all this and they just feel like you were doing that too. Yeah. So you already should be on the same wavelength yeah. instead of you just like, I'm just waking up and I'm going to take a minute. All right, well, let's finish on a bit of lightheartedness. Jim, this is just for you, this question, all right? Being a stock agent, you must have heard, if not a thousand, probably have a million jokes that you've heard. Can you share a joke with us to wrap this up? Joke? Oh, jeez, Dan, you put me on the spot. <laughs> don't tell me you want to circle back. <laughs> no, Because no. I don't have is any other questions. a joke or like a story? You give me something funny. I just want to I just want to make sure that I was just oh. thinking, I, I thought you'd just have one on no, off no, the cuff. I've never really been a big joke person, like telling jokes. That's what I heard. One of the one of the I don't know. One of the things like auctioneering that you always had to do was keep the audience engaged. And I felt like telling a joke it could set you up for a massive failure. Or um, and it did. I went in the auctioneers comp and I did say a saying at the start, and it cost me 
it. All right, well, give, give us that sign. I said, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Jim McCallum, res- representing McCallum Ritchie, it was at the time. I come from Scone, where men are men, women are scarce, and sheep are nervous, <laughs> thinking that would break the ice. Apparently, How stupid was that? I, I would have thought it was all right. Was it now we auctioning sheep? No, I was auctioning cattle. Well, there you go. No, it makes it no even funny. I, I got third, the first two. And you think it's the joke, or you think maybe no. the other guys are just better? Yeah, maybe it was. <laughs> You're like, I had it, I had it in the bag, <laughs> yeah, as long as I joke. didn't tell that terrible joke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Probably go down pretty well in New Zealand too, that yeah. joke. Good to, good to translate it. Yeah. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. You just got to have a joke. Oh, no, thank God we missed it. Was, it was just a specific gym because I was literally oh. thinking being an agent. Agents always seem to have a joke or, you know, because they hear it too, you know. They go around and visit everybody cocky around and I thought you'd have one. Have you got, have you got a joke that would trump? Not one that would be suitable to this podcast. Well, let me be the judge of that. <laughs> already, I've already had to decide what we're going to rate this podcast as. No, nothing. I'll skip. Pass on the jokes. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay, fair enough. All right, guys, it's been awesome having you on the Foresight. I'm going to call it Super Series because it was a super episode. The other guys, you're the first off, first cab off the rank, as they say. So the other guys have this to live up to now. Thank you both for your time. It's been great, been awesome. I'm certainly looking forward to listening to it back. Have you got any last words? No, thank you very much for coming, and we've enjoyed getting to know you over the last few months and what you've your connections with Leah. And so, no, it's great to have you and you're welcome here anytime and um, yeah and no, I thank you very much for having us I appreciate it and we also like to thank Foresight you know for bringing this series and also for all their support um, to all their riders and the whole industry really it's pivotal and great to see them launching in the US I think it's so exciting and um, yeah we look forward to I guess where the performance horse industry is going to go from here I think that's really exciting here in Australia it's it's on the rise and it just opens so many doors I think for the genetics for training and um, to give people and the young people of our industry a real future. So Absolutely. I think that's exciting. Foresight, and that's what we love about them, not only their product, but how supportive they are across the board with their sponsorship and their support to many different disciplines, not just the Western industry or the yeah. cow sports, through the equestrian world, and, and now they're off to the States and, and they're already started over there, uh, their support to the NCHA. So it's pretty exciting times. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Thank you, Thank Dan. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Please help us out by commenting with a review as well as rating and sharing on your socials. This helps us out greatly and we really appreciate your support. Hopefully in 2023, we'll bring you more content than ever before. If you'd like to find out more about the McCullum Performance Horses, check them out on Facebook and Instagram and also their website, allthews.mccullumperformancehorses.com.au. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye. If you like my daddy's podcast, please write reviews and subscribe. Share this podcast with your friends.